And welcome once again to the Lucky Mojo Voodoo Rumor Tower, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. I'm your announcer, Papanuta, papanuta.com in Omaha, Nebraska, and in just a moment, we'll be joined by our co-host, uh, Contraband Ali, uh, uh, a of uh, Catherine I Widow of LuckyMudger.com in Forest Hill, California, and Contraband Ali of TheContraband.com in Mission Viejo, California. This week, we'll be joined by a special guest from the Association of Independent Readers and Reworkers, Papa G of SouthernFolkMagic.com in Nashville, Tennessee, bringing us the topic on uh, Tessiomancy. After first, they'll take your calls and offer advice to address, ameliorate, and remediate your questions and problems about love, money, career, and spiritual protection using traditional African-American folk magic practices of voodoo, tundra, or rework as divine and prescribed by the greatest spiritual voodooist of our time. You can learn a lot just by listening, but if you're selected from among those who signed up at the Lucky Mojo Forum at form.luckymojo.com and called into the show, then you'll be on the air and receive a free consultation. We'll be going to the phones in just a moment, but first, Let's catch up with our co-host, Ms. Kat and Contraband Ali. Ms. Kat? Hi. Thank you, Papa Newt. Um, I am uh, here. I am sending out little messages in Facebook even as we <laughs> speak. I just got that one sent. Um, well, I have a, a few little things to report. It started raining here, so we are... Uh, for now, safe from any more fires for which we are grateful. We had a lovely Thanksgiving, and I want to send a shout-out to my second cousin, Mike, and his uh, wife, Linda, and uh, their children, Ziva and Sam, who had us over for Thanksgiving. It was a wonderful trip. And um, immediately that we came back from that, my uh, uh, ex-stepsister Holly, who I've known since we were very small children and we've remained very close friends, uh, came to visit us. And she um, stayed for a couple of days and we had a wonderful experience, which ties into what we're going to be doing on our panel discussion today. Today we're going to be discussing tea leaf reading. And in preparation for this, Papa G of Aroma G, Aroma Gregory, uh, sent us um five packets of exquisite tea to test. And so we held this morning a tea party where we brewed all the teas. And I'm going to be putting our uh, reviews of the teas through the um, chat room. And um, and you're going to just have to... We, and we read them and we did the images. And it was very interesting how the three experienced tea leaf readers saw, tasted and saw these um, tea leaves. So that's what's up here. I'm very excited about this show. And um, I guess, oh, all I can say is I'm still plugging away at the Genuine Black and White Magic of Marie Laveau. I have about six hours to go worth of type type um, editing and, and fiddling and futzing around. And it is going to press, I swear, on December 1st. I've been saying this now for two months. It's going to press December 1st. Uh, Gray Wolf Townsend and I are working on the cover and the interior illustration. It is going to press December 1st, um, even if I have to drink tea and stay up all night. So how are you today, uh, Conjurman Ali? I'm doing well, thank you for asking. I'm recovering from Thanksgiving, as <laughs> as people usually do. I uh, spent most of the weekend uh, indoors. I, I hate the kind of Black Friday 
sale, consumers and stuff. So I generally stay at spend the, the weekend of Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving itself with family. And then the weekend I spend uh, doing kind of personal projects, catching up on things that I've been uh, lagging behind on throughout the year. So it's been a really productive, uh, fun and busy uh, weekend. And, and that's really what I've been up to. Just busy work as, as we Tauruses enjoy to do. All right. Well, we have a very complex on topic for the panel discussion. Mm-hmm. So before we begin, I want to bring in our guest, um, Papa G, our uh, fellow Taurus of um, mm-hmm. um, aromagregory.com and or Aroma G Botanica in um, Nashville, Tennessee. So um, welcome, Papa G. And, oh, and I just have to also say thank you, thank you so much for the beautiful um, velvet beaded, embroidered, fantastical with stones and everything tarot bag that you sent us oh, well. with those with those five beautiful teas. You are you're really a prince and for some reason, Papa G I mean Taurus is like gifts, we all know that. But mm-hmm. you always send me the most incredibly appropriate gifts. The railroad bandana the Millbrook, the Millbrook teacups by Syracuse. Um, you, you, uh, something. I mean, I, you know, I just sit there like a little puppy, waiting for the treats to fall off the table and into my mouth. <laughs> you have, you know, what I love, Papa G. And if I didn't know you, if I didn't know you through reading and root work and uh, hoodoo and conjure and all of that other stuff, I would just want to hang out with you because you're just so cool. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. I, I listen to people all year, you know, people say, how did you know to get me this for Christmas? I, I listen to people and I take mental notes. It's like, oh, you said you wanted that eight months ago. You know? ah. <laughs> yeah, well, and, I, and, 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 and Shiva reminded me in the chat log, um, Ginger, oh my God, you're the uh, yeah. Ginger provider. I mean, you are you are such a great guy. Anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, for those of you who have not gone to his site, um, please do uh, check it out. It's an amazing site, and Papaji is a member of AIR. Um, but I would like to turn to what our panel discussion is today, because this is going to be a little bit complex. Um, today we're going to talk about tea leaf reading, tassiomancy, and... Um, one of the things that I tell people is tea leaf reading seems to be this kind of free-form Rorschach test. You know, whatever you see, it means whatever it means to you. And many people do read that way. But other people have specific meanings. Most tea leaf readers mm-hmm. have specific meanings for the different patterns of tea leaves. And in particular, um, even things like dots or spots uh, can be read to have a certain meaning. And in reading tea leaves for a client, it is customary to uh, make a cup of tea for yourself and just sit and drink your own tea, and then a drink for the uh, have the client drink their tea and then pass you their cup and you read their cup. So it's a kind of a sitting together um, to do tea leaf reading. You can also just sit there like a stone while they read their while while they drink their own tea, but it's not as friendly. So uh, reading tea leaves is a very domestic um, form of um, Reading, it's usually done in the home or at a restaurant mm-hmm. uh, or a tea room, tea house. 
So having said all of that, I'm going to bring Papaji on. We're going to talk about tea leaf reading. Um, and as we talk, what you're going to see going into the chat room will be the readings, and they have to go in a few lines at a time, of the readings that we did today with Papaji's teas. Just remember there are five teas, and the number will be one and then two and so forth. And you'll see. It'll, I'm going to have to do it in a little segment, so be patient, okay? But take it away, Papaji. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I, one reason I brought this top, uh, topic was to also to pick your brain because you know so much about it. So, but what you what you brought up was something about you need to know the symbols. And in the beginning, when I started reading tea leaves, I didn't know the symbols. I did do them intuitively. Mm-hmm. And after I learned the symbols, it became a lot easier to read the leaves. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. one thing I found as a, a Lenormand card reader is there are so many ones that have similar meanings to Lenormand cards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the fish and means wealth and the flower can mean um, tokens of love and esteem. Um, the rider or horse, a galloping horse, news, someone coming into you. So they're all those are all Lenormand meanings. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's absolutely right. I did uh, recently order from, there's a lady in Australia on Etsy who makes tea leaf um, cups. Because, you know, I have a large collection, like, like you, not as large as you, but I have a lot of Ainsley cup of knowledge. <laughs> I yes, think I have like yes. 30 of them now. But I ordered one from her, and she makes them herself, and they have all the little Norman symbols inside the cup. How wonderful. If anybody oh, wants to look her up, she's... um. It's What's tea with Karen. T, uh, it's K-A-R-I-N. I'll that's on Etsy. She's in Australia. But, wow, that's wonderful. That's absolutely wonderful. Mm. Well, I'm I'm going to what I'm already into uploading um, autumn mist tea. Now this tea, and here's what I'm going to I'm going to talk about these readings a little bit. What we had to give you kind of an idea. So we we first we had the autumn mist tea, which is a green tea, and um, it was um, served in a fraternal order of Orioles cup from Reading, Pennsylvania. And the cup that you um, do these in can either be a marked cup or a um, a plain cup. We chose to have yeah. plain white cups this time, uh, but I often do read in marked cups. I have a website called the Mystic Tea Room, and at that site you can read about the marked cups, which is what Papa G was just talking about, the Lenormand cups, which are marked. And um, But... But what we do when we look at a tea from the standpoint of reading a tea, we want to know um, how pleasing it is going to be to the widest variety of clients or sitters, as mm-hmm. they're called. You don't want to give people a tea that's so um, difficult for them to drink that they won't enjoy it. You also mm-hmm. don't want to have a tea that is too um, um, finely ground or too um, Mm -hmm. rough for you to read. So Autumn Mist, rated as floral caramel with intense fruit flavors and a greatly variegated appearance. That variegated appearance makes it an interesting uh, tea to read because it had pieces of fruit in it that were not tea. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And that led to some very interesting um, readings. So um, the way we read it, and this is what was interesting to me, um, Holly read it as butterflies and birds rising into the sky. Mm. I read it as Joan of Arc on a horse waving a banner with the foot troops below her. And (laughs) Shiva was very similar to mine, a demonic pumpkin head protector above with vegetative defense and aid below. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, so he and I were agreed on the image. Now, Holly read that as hope because butterflies and birds rising in the sky means hope. But I read it quite differently because seeing, having seen Joan of Arc waving a banner, you know, in full armor, I read it as a dynamic, protective female warrior and her allies will defend both home and hearth. Mm-hmm. Shiva, who saw it as a demonic pumpkin head protector with vegetative defense below, read it as a shielding ally is near to you and close to agriculture and soil. Oh. So we have... Just as when cards are read, we have some differences, but two out of the three people saw the same thing, interpreted yeah. it differently, but read it identically. Yeah, were these, so these, these was in, this was in one cup, or three cups. Well, no, we had one cup. One cup. We shared one cup among, th- we, we made five cups, we, we oh, passed them lovely. around and sipped them. We got the flavor and our th- thoughts about the flavor of this. For instance, caramel, butterscotch, perry fruit, medicinal note of calendula and marigold becomes more bitter after steeping, you know, is what Holly said. I said lovely floral fruit, floating apples, calendula, large green tea leaves, pale yellow brew, bittering slowly but decisively in the cup. And... Um, Nagashiva said, fruity, then bitter, subtle flavor. And we found out right away that Shiva, what is bitter to me, is like interesting to Shiva. Mm. And so Shiva likes a bitter cup, whereas I shy away from a bitter cup. Which now, I'm not a big fan of green tea because you can only you can only brew it for three minutes, and beyond that, it turns bitter. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So we brewed these in the cup, which of course will tend to bitter them because um, you have to hang around in the a while. cup. You got to hang on to what you got, right? So yes, it. And I wrote here, bittering slowly but decisively. By the time I was straining the last bits of, you know, uh, liquid through my teeth, I was going eh, pretty bitter. But it was very, very fruity at the opening. Very lovely tea. Um, so, but what I wanted you all to think about is the idea here that we are um, uh, people just don't think of this as a system, and it is a system. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm going to go to the next one that we did. This was a fantastic tea called Tea Kuan Yin, and it's an oolong. And this Papaji, mm-hmm. this is one of your best teas. This is excellent, excellent tea. Um, it is not my favorite of them because I tend to like a weak um, bitterness. But um, it this tea had what we call nori uh, scent, and that means seaweed scent. And some people say it even has a, like a hint of umami or soup. And this tea had that nori, it's oolong, but oolong with the nori scent is um, highly prized. This I considered this a very exquisite tea. If I were to make it, 
I would probably make it myself weaker than Holly made it. She she was in charge of brewing, and she tends to like a bitter tea. It might be more affordable um, that way. It's one of our more expensive teas. It's like yeah. I think it's oh. like twelve dollars an ounce. <laughs> right. And what I wrote here was begins as too good for restaurant tea, but develops a slight bitterness in the cup, probably because she made it strong. Mm. When I say too good for restaurant tea, I have to explain here that for me as a reader, restaurant tea is the best tea for reading. Now, people think, ah, it's just restaurant tea. you got some Lipton's green tea, whatever, you know, they got in the Chinese restaurant. I don't say that because I come from California and what I'm talking about is the very special teas that were served in the banquet halls upstairs in Chinatown when I was a child. And yeah. I, it, as a child, I didn't know what oolong was. I said, I want that restaurant tea. <laughs> <laughs> but restaurant tea is often chosen for two reasons. For reading, because it has beautiful long leaves, but also so it's readable. But also, oolong doesn't bitter up. The other one that reads yeah. very well, and he, you did not send a sample, is pu'er. And that's my other go-to reading tea. Because be pu'er, <laughs> yeah, pu'er, pu'er never bitters up. It is, um, it is kind of fried and cooked, and so it, it stops the enzymes in the tea from changing after picking. And it stays, but it's a very dark red tea, whereas... Mm-hmm. Oolong is uh, is a lighter um, gray, greenish, mm-hmm. yellow tea, and it it is easy to read because um, it you don't have a lot of you know brown stuff in the bottom. You, you don't have to drain it as thoroughly. The the yeah. um, the liquid doesn't stay there um, as a color. So on this one, we had a lot of strong flavor notes: jasmine, chrysanthemum, herbaceous. Um, Holly said flavor remains consistent after prolonged steeping. I said develops a slight bitterness in the cup. And Nagashiva said exquisite nori soup scent and taste. And he likes that that um, that taste, which some people describe as an oolong that could almost become a miso soup. If you know, do you know what I'm talking about, Gregory? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, miso soup. Yeah. So there's a there's a slight soupy taste to oolong, smoky, soupy, nori, seaweedy taste that is almost like food. It's a tea that's almost a food. And also, when I was very poor, I was taught by a Chinese friend of mine that if you were very poor and couldn't afford much food, you would order oolong tea and put a dash of um, soy sauce in it, and you could drink it as your soup. Mm. But you Mm. could not... You could not do that with other teas other than oolong, in his opinion. And I've done that. And um, it is quite rich. The oolong will take well to salt. It's interesting. Yeah. So that was that you were talking. You were talking about a system. Um, a lot of people don't know that you're supposed to actually read the cup a, sp- mm-hmm. a specific way. Mm-hmm. And I'm um, I'm working on a, a book on on Tassiomancy and and there, in doing some research, I found something that I had never thought of before. Um, I'd never approached it this way because you actually, you know, the the handle of the cup is known as the home. Mm-hmm. Directly, right, home di- and away. Directly, yeah, directly across is the the far side is the away, and so basically, when you read the left side of the cup from the home to the away, it's things that mm-hmm. are leaving you. 
from the away leading back to the home or things that are coming to you. And then what I read that was interesting was on the left side is negative infinity and the mm-hmm. right side is positive infinity. I had never hmm. heard that before. That's a new one to me, yeah, because I always read Ooh. it down down the side from the top the first day to week and then the second week and yeah. the third week, and then the bottom is the danger or the safety, depending on how the cup is done. Um, I mean, how the how the person was taught to read. Um, the third tea we had was Da Hong Pao and Oolong, which we served in the First Methodist Church of Ironwood, Michigan. Um, it's spelled different than our name, Ironwood, but we love that cup for that reason. And it's a very beautiful cup, <laughs> a favorite. So this was also an Oolong. It was also seaweedy, grassy, and the flavor remained consistent. This was the tea that I chose for best readability, Da Hong Pao. And um, I I would have put the, the Kuan Yin as the second best um, mm-hmm. for readability. But this particular uh, Da Hong Pao Oolong was amazing. And um, the... the we wrote about it, thin, long leaves for a good fortune-telling experience, very easy to read. So what we saw in this one was really strange. We all kind of agreed. We had, um, uh, well, oh, I should go back to number two, and I forgot to mention it. Well, the first image we had was mountains and ravines, mist over a rolling stream bread and bridges across gaps. Um, that was Holly. I saw a robed and hooded figure rushing through the night, guided by the moon and bypassing foxes. And Shiva saw a witch flying on a broom in the sky with birds. And so we all saw this image rushing around and crossing. Now I have to explain that Holly is undertaking a long journey and um, and has left her home and has her two dogs and a cat in her truck on a journey and stopped here on her way. So that all three of us went, oh, well, that must be about her, right? And um, she read it as adventurous journey on a clear path, uh, probable short and long-term success. I read it as safe travel, empowered by knowledge and ingenuity if the journey is planned well. And Shiva said, expect a magical visitor from afar. So he was reading it passively that she was the visitor, which I found was uh, interesting, and we, and that she and I read it as her journey. Which was, which, it's interesting, which was, too, that your personalities also really come through here. I mean, you see... Yeah. Nagashiva and yourself see similar images, but like you see Joan of Arc, you see the pumpkin-headed figure, you see yeah. uh, a, a, a figure how, with a cloak, you yeah. see the witch, but you guys have very the least similar dark. kind of interpretation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it may be also that we live with one another. We chose yeah, one absolutely. another because we are similar in our styles. Yeah, so the, the Da Hong Pao, um, we... Um, Holly saw a village or community in turmoil. I saw Margaret Hamilton, uh, but not as the um, um, wicked um, witch of the West, but I, it was just actually Margaret Hamilton. And um, mm. and she was um, looking, well, she had a large plumed hat, and she was looking down at an assemblage of jumbled and ruined possessions. I immediately saw this as the fires in California, that everything was destroyed. And um, but there were these little elves, uh, little sprightly elves, like little nature spirits, dancing around her. But she hadn't noticed them yet. And um, and 
Nagashiva was kind of the odd one out. He saw a farmstead with a scarecrow, a barn, and a rooster. And so then for the reading, Holly saw decline in success or vitality due to attrition, due to deaths, despair, departures. Even the victorious gains little due to nearly total destruction of harmony. I saw it as age brings deep wisdom and insight, but with it comes tragic sadness, certain losses. But nature's sprites are waiting to assist if they are approached. And Shiva just saw the nature sprites. Labor and homey peace awaits you in rural life. But on the other hand, he's a good um, 15 years younger than us also. And maybe that old woman figure or that, that death did not strike him as a reader. He didn't see it. So again, two out of three, we kind of agreed. Um, then we, we have the, the smoky bonfire tea. Tell me about that tea, Papa G. Well, everyone in the store loves it. I don't like it at all. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it had a flavor to it, the things that you described that you liked in the past, and I, I thought you would like it. To me, it tastes like potpourri. Um, yes. <laughs> but it does have – it has some – you know, it has some Latsang Sushong in it, so it has a, a smokiness to it. Um mm-hmm. mixed with I think it's mixed with Roy Boss and some um red berries, I believe. Yeah, there it looks like um like red peppercorns or something. I am actually I'm, consult consulting the website right now to tell you what's in it. Um we've um, we have like we smell, well we smell three hundred different teas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, of course. Um, we we smelt so many different things in there, and I don't know that they were all ingredients, but we certainly had a hint of these scents. And um, uh, we mentioned cloves, cardamom, cinnamon, skinus pink pepper, pepper, hibiscus, rose, smoky black tea. And um, uh, Holly read it as wood, stroke, wood smoke strong in brewed fragrance and a harsh smoke flavor. She did not go for that one. Um I read it as a beautiful rust red brew, tiny leaves with floating chewable spices. I was ending up just chewing on them, the spices, because I love spices so much, um, with a slight bitterness. But then later, when I took my second sip as it went around the second time, there was something that made my salivary glands go off. Totally, like, was licorice is the only thing I could think. There was something that was, like, so extra that had not been there in the first flavor. Very it does, odd. It, it does have apples and rose hips, and then there's a little bit of anise seed. Maybe the anise. That's what I was tasting as the oh, licorice. licorice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely what I, but it didn't come out at first. You see, it had to sit in the cup for a while. This tea was, um, uh, and, and Shiva said, festival holiday spice, tasty. <laughs> like I said, he takes more bitterness than we do. And then the readability for this smoky bonfire um, mm-hmm. Very difficult or rough to read. Such small yeah. leaves might better be read in the saucer. Now, this brings us to the Irish method of reading, where you never read mm-hmm. in the cup, you read in the saucer. Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you read in the saucer, this tea is readable. But we had difficulty reading it because it was just um, it just turned into a, a pile of very small images. So uh, Holly said, we are climbing Jacob's Ladder. And there was. It was this this shape. Um, uh, I said a flagpole, a ladder, or a flying buttress atop a hill, in the sky, a chain of dots. Now, I read the chain of dots very traditionally, and I'll get to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Nagashiva said a little chick looks up at the sky flock 
yet unable to fly. So that was that same upward pointing. What he, what we saw as a flagpole, he saw as the beak of the chick. And this happens sometimes in reading. One person is seeing a scale where well, I'm seeing a huge hill with this with this flying buttress or something, and he's seeing the whole hill as the chick's body, and the little upward pointing thing as the chick's beak. Mm. And that is that is an interesting um, similarity and difference is what scale the reader will see it at. So I read, uh, Holly read that is out of an indiscriminate jumble of facts or experiences, someone can discern an upward path and climb to the stars. Epiphany. And I read that one as an upwardly aspirational journey, begun with a clear intention and a lofty goal, leads to financial success because the row of dots I was taught means coins or financial success. And then, um, so I have a more traditional reading on that. And then Sheba read it as aspirational, has potential, watch for future development and growth. So we mm-hmm. all agreed on that one. It's very clear. Um, but it was difficult for all of us. We all complained about how hard it was to read. Clumping. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Now, the last one uh, we did was the – oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll no, just no, close please, for a while please, while you ahead. talk. Go ahead and talk. I was no, just no, going to say that, that um, it's interesting. We were, there's a conversation going on about people who are interested and not interested or curious about tea leaf reading in, in the chat room. And of all the readings I've come across, and, and please, both of you, uh, chime in on this, of all the kind of reading systems and divination systems that exist, I've always found tea leaf reading to be the most cultural, by which I mean people read tarot even if they don't have a family tradition of reading tarot. People may pick up astrology if they don't have a family tradition of astrology. People pick up scrawling and so on and so forth. But tea leaf reading more often than not, I have found the people who do it, with some exception, with some exception, have a family tradition of doing it. Their grandmothers read tea, read tea leaves. Their aunts read tea leaves. Or their culture tends to read tea leaves. If it wasn't someone directly in their family, they have a cultural practice of it. So, for example, tea leaf readings and coffee readings are huge in the Middle East. And so a lot of people will go to get a tea leaf reading or a, co- a coffee reading, but not everyone will go and get a card reading. So this has been my experience, is that, that you know, there's plenty of cultures out there that, read, that drink tea, or plenty of people today that drink tea, that go to their Tivana, that they go to their Starbucks, and they go to whatnot. But tea leaf reading itself, and an interest in it, seems to be more culturally defined or family defined, or the people who continue to practice it are those that have had some family tradition of it. Maybe it's some opening up a little bit. I wonder if, if either of you have had the same experience. Well, I I have to say something different about that because in my family, tea leaf reading was never present, but we lived in the San Francisco Bay Area and we went to Chinese restaurants a lot. Mm. And um, there was this whole idea that you could read tea leaves. And in Chinatown, they would sell this little booklet it was a little stable stitch mm-hmm. booklet that told you how to read tea leaves, and you could buy it. And I bought that little booklet as a child. It was very cute. And so it was cultural um, contact, in other words. Yes, it was a cultural contact. And so yeah. I became our family's tea leaf reader. Of course, my mother and oh, stepfather indulged me. And then Holly, who was also here reading with us, she was my stepfather's daughter. And so she got a copy of this little book, and she began reading tea leaves. So this became something that our family adopted through going to San Francisco or yeah. to Oakland to Chinatown for dim sum and oolong tea. 
And, and for us, it could just be something that was, you know, in your bones, because as far back as I can remember, the only thing I knew about tea in my family was it was iced and sweet. Um, <laughs> right. But, you know, being mainly of English and Scots-Irish um, heritage, that's that's very prevalent. And I was actually um, going to ask you, Conjurmentally, if you, with your uh, heritage, if it, there was a lot of coffee Coffee ground reading. Is that what yeah, more my family did tea? more tea than coffee. Um, the Arabic world is huge uh, with coffee readings, Lebanese coffee readings, Palestinian coffee readings. They're quite popular, and I've even Egyptian, and I've had a lot of them, and they're really well done. Um, but my, fam- my the Persian world is uh, much heavier in tea. Uh, Iranians, Afghans, Uzbeks, Tajiks, they all drink tea more than they drink coffee. So tea leaf readings was very popular in my family. And everyone who I ever met who did the kind of professional tea leaf readings either had that kind of cultural contact or, or uh, like Miss Cat mentioned, or had some type of tradition of it. In my family, almost all the elder women practice some form of tea leaf reading. Um, it's just a there's also kind of a social bonding element to it. You get together, you talk, you drink tea, uh, you gossip, and then when the tea is done, you read the leaves. Mm-hmm. And that, and usually there's one person within that kind of circle that is, you know, more of an expert or is known for being gifted, and so people will turn to that person. Okay, read my cup next and read my cup next. So I've, I've seen tea leaf readings um, as long as, you know, I've been alive. And I've done them myself, but I don't do it for clients to be honest with you. It's not something that I ever, but I do it well, every time I drink a tea. <laughs> no, it's mm-hmm. Because I drink so much of it, I do it with a dent, I drink the tea, and then I look at the mm-hmm. leaves, and I know what's my week, what my week's going to look like or what my day's going to look like. You know, okay, I, I want to do, before we, before we go on, I want to read ahead. this last tea. This was the Black Dragon Pearl, and this is also a very high-class tea. We use the Brigade Boys Club of Wilmington, North Carolina, Sterling, China, cup to read it. It is a straight-up, smells like black tea or orange picot tea scent with fresh floral and green notes. We use three pearls per cup. I probably would have done better with two pearls. It's very strong. Mm. Um, it brewed, Holly read it as black orange picot fragrance with caramel and rain-washed conifer notes. I read it as a red-brown brew. Smells like PG Tips. Now, I have to explain. PG Tips is a commercial English tea, but it's a very good tea. Smells like tea, PG Tips, but with cocoa and pine notes, but has a stronger bitterness. So again, I might have made it weaker if I was had, had familiar with it. And uh, Nagashiva read it as complex and beautiful black tea flavor because bitter doesn't register with him. Um, mm. Then the readability, which we you know we find this out as we work with these teas. Readability, the pearls unfold gradually into long leaves, an exciting development, and upon stirring, they are lovely and fun to read because as they they lay there, the orange red brew is at the bottom, and the whole top of the cup is pale golden yellow and even mm. up to green. It's like a like a airbrush fade, and when you stir mm. it, poof, the whole thing turns orange, and it's just delightful. Um, the image Holly saw when the handle is held on the right, a light is hidden under a bushel basket. And when the handle is held on the left, a cauldron bubbles. So from home and away, first from home to away is a cauldron bubbling, and then a light hidden under a bushel basket. 
I read it as two people separate themselves from the crowded populace and sit at rest beside one another in an open space or city park. This is what she saw as the cauldron Mm -hmm. bubbling. I saw the two people sitting in the open space, affectionately leaning toward each other. And Shiva saw an owl sitting on a branch with Luna above. So what I saw as two people, he saw an owl and the moon. But they were similar images, but we, we did not agree on the images much. The reading... Um, Holly went with, make what you want with what you have. I Mm. read it as a fond meeting of like minds. Perhaps a courtship will ensue. And Shiva read it as you are in a settled resting place. Watch carefully and enjoy. So both Shiva and I agreed that there was a passivity there watching everything going on around. But I saw that they were almost so protected they would develop their own relationship. So those were our readings. And I, I wanted to put these through uh, because people come to this show to learn how readings are done. And I wanted you all mm-hmm. to have an example of three people, two of whom have been professional tea readers, and one is an amateur. Nagashiva is an amateur. Holly and I have both read professionally. How we read these cups, and also how we judged the tea. <laughs> it sounds like a fun, fun night or day or whatever it was Morning. of drinking tea and doing readings. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's a it it was it was very fun, and I really want to thank you, Papaji, for making that possible. I will be reading for one client today, and if Shiva makes the tea, I will be reading the Da Hong Pao Oolong Ooh, in the Svea in the Svea Cafe cup from Rockford, Illinois. <laughs> so, um, whoever our what, lucky client is. Yeah. What type of um. I know that I prefer as many cups as I collect. I prefer to read in a plain white cup. What what about you, Kat? I don't. I prefer to read in a cartomancy cup. Um, I like astrology cups, too, but I'm kind of almost too good an astrologer um, Mm. to accept it. You know what I mean? I guess, ah! But I like to read a cartomancy (laughs) cup. But in doing so, I make the... um, mental switch to the corresponding tarot card. In other words, if it's the two of hearts, I go two of cups. I know what that's the two of cups, right? Right. Or if it's the, the, um, you know, four of clubs, I go, ah, four of wands. There aren't as many Mm. cards in a cartomancy cup, but um, there's no trumps. I would love someone to do a tarot card um, with a set with just trumps in the cup. That would be fun, too. Oh, interesting. And I often do yeah, a tea and tarot reading for for people, mm-hmm. and I find that the cards I pull behind, I read the cup first. They they basically mimic what I just told them that was in the cup. Mhm. But sometimes yeah. people want that visual of the of the cards, but it it pretty well, much is just me repeating myself. I yeah. Mm-hmm. See, I like the the cards for a reason. There there is a a good book on this that was written in 1925, Why Read the Cartomancy Cups, and it explains for one example, if you have, um, let's say, um, a snake, and everyone knows a snake means deceit or a, a, you know, a hidden enemy or something of that nature, and there's this hidden enemy in the cup, right? But if the snake is biting, let's say, the two of hearts, that snake is attacking your love life, your engagement, not necessarily your marriage, because you wouldn't, you know, that's not a marriage card, but it's an engagement card or love affair card. If the snake is instead biting the um, 
of the Ace of Diamonds, the someone is attacking your money. And yeah. so um, it it is easier to read a complex meaning like that if you have an ambiguous um, uh, image in the tea leaf. Now, if the tea leaf just said strings of money, it's going to, you're going to have a really good fortune, and the next month you're going to have a lot of money, well, it doesn't really matter what card it reads. And like you said, it may just repeat. But very often, again, that might, even if it seemed very specific, you will have a lot of money in the next month, but then the question becomes, how? Right? How will you get that money? And so then again, the card would maybe point to that. Would it be through uh, the clubs? Would it be through the swords? Would it, you know, would it be through the diamonds and so forth? Diamonds being investment, hearts being love, and so forth. And that 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 is reminiscent of something I heard you say. I heard you on a radio show from several years ago where you were talking about Tassiomancy. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the title of it. The the host. Um, but um, you were talking about if you know basic meanings, then you have some basic information. But if you know a lot of meanings, you can puzzle them together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus like like knowing what a bird means, and then like what knowing what the different types of birds mean. Right. If so that's similar to, to like connecting those pieces. Yes, exactly. If you want to see some good lists of tea leaf readings in books that I have published, in my book, Throwing the Bones, I give a list of tea leaf reading symbols, not for um, reading bones, although you could, but for reading spiel bones, which are um, uh, the shoulder blade bone of an animal and they will develop patterns in them when you um, cook them and it may be cloudy or or gray or dark even black inclusion patterns and and um so I included the tea leaf methodology there because they both come from the same culture namely Scots Irish English culture mm-hmm. and then there's another tea leaf set um and that is Involvamancy by Dr. Jeremy Weiss um, and that is um, because Voldemancy is about reading ladies' pussies. But there's a chapter in it about reading stains on the bed. And these could be menstrual blood stains or mixed sexual fluid stains or whatever they might be. And so Voldemancy contains a similar but different because this is Jeremy's um, um list of tea leaf readings to apply to bed stains. And I have to say, uh, give credit where that's due, Jeremy got that from Nagashiva, who, as far as I know, pioneered bed stain reading as a, you know, as a rather, not just off the cuff, but as a real system. And so um, Jeremy Weiss, who's now, by the way, a member of AIR. Yes, Jeremy has joined AIR. Um, yeah. Jeremy thanked Nagashiva and used that system for the bed stain. Um, but it shows the tea leaf uh, reading. So I would say I challenge Jeremy to uh, have a have a lady do a sits bath in Da Hong Pao, and then do a reading. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeremy would do it too. By the way, for those people who are not familiar with Doctor uh, Jeremy Weiss, um, he is an actual doctor. It's not just an honorific title. He's a doctor, and um, he just joined Air, and um, he is. Uh, makes a Jewish style amulets but he also does um sexual counseling both um 
medical social sexual counseling and also magical sexual counseling, and you have to be over 21 to get it, and um, it comes with a promise he is not going to have sex with you. That's not what it's about. It's it's what it is. That's his specialty. <laughs> hmm. It's interesting to note, too, here that, that the longer you do this, the more you're going to develop the vocabulary for this reading. Um, you'll start to... Uh, develop an understanding of what each one of the symbols means. You can start off with something like a traditional list of correspondence. This means that, this, that means that. Um, but eventually, as you do more and more of these readings, more tea leaf readings, you'll start to understand that maybe the snake showing up in that position means slightly something slightly different than its traditional definition. So this is about building the kind of vocabulary, if you will. It's not just about matching. You're not just sitting there and going, okay, well, this equals this and this equals that. What you're developing is a language, if you will, a symbolic language that you then piece together to tell a story. And this is the case for most forms of subjective divination, but I think doubly so with tea leaf readings. So the best way to get good at tea leaf readings is to do them, and do them often. And, and study the meaning. I mean, mine became, like I said in the beginning, I didn't use the meanings, but they, it became deeper. It made more sense. It became more meaningful when I actually took the time to learn the meanings, which, you know, that's my pet peeve with tarot readings, people who call themselves, I'm a tarot reader, but I don't know the meaning of the cards. Like, they mm-hmm. you're not a tarot reader, you're a card reader. Right. Right. Well, that's a that's an interesting um, thing, you know. It's the same as what happens with, I put five things in a bag and I'm a mojo maker, you know. Um, it's not just divination that has this problem mm-hmm. with the um, instant expert wannabes, you know. And you can tell a real tea leaf reader from someone who's not. Um, it's obvious, you know. It's pretty obvious when you when you talk to them and see what they do. Anyone can play at it, and it's fine. It's like you know playing it um, at tarot. I really respect tea leaf reading as a as a long held tradition. Um, there there has been a lot of restaurants, and you know I collect restaurant where there have been a lot of restaurants where tea leaf reading was offered as part of the menu service you know you you got your tea and a waitress would come and read your tea leaves and they were trained to do so they usually dressed in sort of uh, eastern european romanian gypsy or you know type costumes they had the restaurants had names like the gypsy tea kettle but but then there were also restaurants that were done more as a um you know, American colonial, and they read your tea leaves too because a tea leaf reading of that type is very, very popular in Scotland and England. The tea, the tea rooms haven't been around, well, objectively, that long. That long. I think the, what was it, around eight, it was at the turn of the century, was when they started yeah. Marshall, Marshall Fields or Wanamakers have their... Argue, they argue over who was the first to open a tea room. Right, right. And But there was also this whole movement for women to become operators of tea rooms because they did not serve alcoholic beverages and they were part of the temperance movement. And so the idea was that you could, a woman, you could go out safely and have a luncheon while you were out shopping and you could have it, and they were called tea rooms specifically because they weren't saloons. And there, there are many of these. This is why the, the cup I have that I'm, I mentioned was the Stea Cafe that I'm going to be reading for our client. 
um, the Svea Cafe means the Swedish Cafe, and, and this was a woman who uh, was Swedish, and she wanted to have women to open a, their own restaurant, and um, and it was owned successively by different women. And uh, the idea was they were suffragettes. I mean, it was the idea was that they would be uh, able to be in business for themselves. Mm-hmm. And there, there's also a book um, called um, uh, Tea at the Blue Lantern. Tea at the Blue Lantern, yes. And it's yes. African-American tea, yeah. tea rooms yes. she mentioned. This book, uh, uh, this book, Tea at the Blue Lantern, is an amazing book, so well-researched, so loving. It really is a classic of telling about um, a, a, the history of these of tea, these tea rooms and tea leaf reading. Yes, it's a fabulous, fabulous book. Um, I, by the way, also collect matchbook covers for um, for tea rooms, and I also, as I said, collect um, cardamancy tea leaf reading cups. I must give another shout out to the Mystic Tea Room. This is a website that I maintain that is um, all about reading tea leaves. It has lists of how what the what the symbols are. It's all you know free. You can just get the symbols. There's also pictures of postcards about tea leaf mm-hmm. reading and um, and art that features women reading tea leaves, especially Harry um, uh, uh, Roseland, um, the man who painted the African-American um, fortune teller. And some of his earlier paintings show her reading tea leaves for her white clients. And um, and uh, there's a, a web page, um, somebody will find it, the Harry Roseland page at the Mystic Tea Room, maybe Papa Newt will find it. Um, but Harry Harry Roseland um, painted tea leaf reading back in the and, 1890s. And you, and you still sell some some of the vintage cups too, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, I sure do. Um, they are not cheap. They are sold through the Mystic Tea Room gift shop. So, we could do a yeah. whole we could do a whole show on uh, all the different types of teacups that were manufactured. Well, yeah, most of them are English bone china, and Ainsley certainly was the most prominent. There was also a this big exhibit at the British Empire Exhibition in 1924-25, where six different pottery companies got together and made a an old-fashioned bottle kiln, and um, and made smallish cups. These are they're 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 full-size teacups, but they're narrow, and um, they um, made them according to their own patterns and marked them all with the cartomancy. They were all made called Cup of Knowledge, and they all made them together. And then after that exhibition was over, one uh, manufacturer, Ainsley, bought the rights to continue to do the Cup of Knowledge. Plus, which was mm-hmm. a whole other system, the Nelrose um, Cup of Fortune, which was an astrology cup with astrology symbols in it. Um, uh, Nagashiva, there's no E on the end of Nelrose. It's N-E-L-R-O-S. <laughs> That's just what it is. And... Um, and then there's, um, and that of course had many, many types downstream from. Then there was a company called Red Rose Tea, and they made a plain white interior with the symbols on the outside, and that's pretty. Um, um, gold. Yeah. yeah, in gold, and those are very popular, cheap, common. Um, and then uh, the the astrological ones were revived during the 70s and 80s and became quite popular again. So there's a lot of those cups, I. I love them and I collect them. The most expensive are the Paragon, uh, which were 
Paragon was the Chinaware company that the Queen of England, this would be the current Queen Elizabeth's mother, favored. Mm-hmm. And so every cup says by appointment to Her Majesty. The, uh, and um, and she had baby Queen Elizabeth. And so they made this cup with symbols inside of it, one of which is a baby pacifier, which was their little joke, like, ah, oh, she has a baby. But she apparently read tea leaves and she loved the Paragon set. And they are, they're five different colors and they're, extravagantly expensive. Just don't expect to get one for cheap. And then the really, really rare ones that are also highly expensive are uh, Genevieve Wimsatt's Chinese fortune-telling cup in which all the symbols are Chinese and they came with a book that interpreted them. Amazing painted Chinese cups. They were made in Ohio with rather cheap pottery. And mm. uh, But the Wimsatt, the Wimsatt cups are um, uh, very expensive with the Chinese stuff in them. And then there's another that's um, uh, highly collectible, which were the uh, Peterson cups, which were painted by this woman named um, Florence. Forgot her last name. Bailey Bradley. Um, she paint. She hand painted them herself in the 1920s, and um, those are very rare. They have they have witches around them. So, Interesting. Yeah. You mentioned. Um, the, uh, the baby Queen Elizabeth, and, and I wanted to note that what I found fascinating is that in, in the tradition that I kind of grew up in, where we saw tea leaf readings and coffee readings, more often than not, the type of readings or the type of questions that came were revolved around babies, marriages, and relationships. Those were the most common types of readings people were interested in getting. And sometimes you can see these in, in kind of uh, other traditions. In astrology, a lot of people kind of come, I should say nowadays, come for astrological readings to find out more about themselves or more about their compatibility with a partner. But with tea leaf readings, it was almost always the number one question is, you know, will I get married? Who will I get married to? Will I have mm-hmm. a, a safe carriage of this baby? Will the baby be born healthy? So those type of questions are very popular, um, as I've experienced it, when it comes to uh, tea leaf readings and, and coffee readings, relationship and, and family kind of oriented ones. Yeah. Um, I just got to thank Shiva. He remembered Florence Baxter. Oh, and he's already putting in links um, mm. to the Genevieve B. Wimsatt cup. She was another... Um, a suffragette, and uh, and again, the tea leaf reading went along with female political equality. And uh, Florence Baxter taught um, cup decoration, and um, there are a number of one of a kind cups that people did basically in workshops where you 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 know you paid for your materials, and she had a kiln and she fired your cups, and they were. They're all different because each woman did her own cup and then signed it. And if they survived, there's just one cup. They're, they never were a, a line. And so these Florence Baxter Peterson cups that she did not do, that are hand-painted, are very, very expensive and very rare. I have um, one of them. It's just spectacular. Um, there's a lot of um, amazing history about tea leaf reading that is quite domestic and mm-hmm. I I find it particularly interesting because it's um, uh, women driven, you know. That's uh, uh, unlike some of these other forms of reading. Very much so. Yeah, that are that are priestly, that need a priestcraft. Mm-hmm. This is just the speedwaves of Scotland, you know. They, it's an old word that means fortune telling wives, old fortune telling women. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you could see uh, astrology is kind of a male dominated, or at least historically has been a male dominated form of divination. But with tea leaf readings and coffee readings, it was very much women. And interestingly, like kind of looking at it socially, it was also a way that women claimed power and really dominant patriarchal societies, right? They would be in uh, tea shops, coffee shops, doing these readings and gaining a form of authority, respect, etc. And of course, yeah. as you noted, they're also tied to, to suffragettes. Yeah. I'm going to say something here, you know, just from my personal experience. I have had men coffee readers twice, more mm-hmm. women than men. I have never had a heterosexual male tea leaf reader except for one man. Mm-hmm. And um, that I've gone to as a client. I mean, I know they exist, but that I've gone to as a client. All of the yeah. all of the men were gay, um, who were tea leaf readers. But this one man, and um, and he was my friend Ron Martin Shank, and his mother was a professional tea leaf reader, so he learned it from yeah. his mom. But and he was heterosexual, but it's very much associated with women. And he loved his mother, mm-hmm. and he just carried on this practice. I'm not saying that men can't read tea leaves. I'm just saying that as a client, as I've gone to places where tea leaves were being read, it was always women or gay men, except for Ron. Yeah, I can I can affirm that. Almost all the tea readers, uh, tea leaf readers I've gone to, have been women, with the exception of one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our client tonight says, um, uh, "Lucky Mojo will be Kim." calling from Ohio. So, Kim, I'm just going to warn you that I will be reading uh, tea leaves for you. Okay, so get ready for it. <laughs> I'm I'm very happy to do that kind of a reading. I have had my the tea poured, and I'm going to go find Kim's um, message and then read it while I drink the tea. So I'm going to be a Is little bit... Is this the first time... We've ever had a tea leaf reading on Lucky Mojo who do root work hour. I think it is. I think it's the first time I've done it live. This yeah. is, is kind of yeah. a story. I do it for first clients live. all the time. But... Very mm-hmm. exciting. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, uh, well, it says here, they're straight from the queue, and Kim would like advice about love. Do I have anything other than that? Just it's love? <laughs> nope. Okay. Find out in a second. I am now beginning to sip my tea, um, and soon we will hear the the music. And um, you can there it comes. Here I go sipping the tea. Thank you, Kim, for letting me do this. Mm, This is a good cup of tea. Damn, Gregory. This is great tea. I should have I should have made tea for the show. Unfortunately, I have a glass of wine. <laughs> ah, <laughs> you can read your dregs. Yeah. Support for this programming is provided by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and located online at luckymojo.com. And by the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers, AIR, a directory of ethical and authentic conjure practitioners located online at readersandrootworkers.org. And by the Crystal Silence League, a free online prayer service of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches located online at crystalsilenceleague.org. Now it's time to go to the phones and take our caller. And our caller is calling in from Ohio, from area code 330. This is Kim. Kim, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Thank you. 
Hello, welcome to the show. Uh, now, uh, now I just saw with uh, information that you were looking about advice on love. Can you give us a brief description in, in like two sentences? I'm still single. Someone was interested this summer. I've been told he's coming back. Not sure about that. And my neighbor wants to set me up with his brother. All right. Turn it back to you, Miss Kat. All righty. Um, I, I kind of didn't hear every bit of that. I heard that you were single and that you've been told your lover is coming back. Yes. And may I ask what sign of the zodiac you are? Aries. And Aries. And what sign of the zodiac is your lover? Sagittarius. Damn. Right on, man. Okay, because what I have, the, the reason I was going, somebody here is the Sagittarius. This image I have in the teacup, now this is from Home to Away, and it shows this weird, I, I can't even begin to describe it. It's like a collaged person or being holding a bow and arrow, It's and it's one of those recurved Turkish bows. This is because we're using oolong tea, and it has these long, curvy leaves. But this person is striding away on long, thin legs with boots at the end of the legs and has a, a um, almost a skull for a head and is, is just kind of going away and dragging with them some sort of a, a person or child or doll with its feet kind of dragging behind. And he's just like going away. He's very cartoonish. It's very unpleasant looking this guy is not coming back he's going away because he's between the cup and the excuse me the handle of the cup and the away he's striding away on the at the bottom of the cup well behind him i should say there's a bat flying now bats are lucky in chinese fortune so we can say he's leaving behind some good luck that he had this creature or doll that he's holding and sort of grabbing behind him is waving goodbye and um, it almost could be like a baby uh, it's just like a doll, it's smaller than him and he's holding it and it's waving goodbye and it does not look really happy either however underneath in the bottom of the cup there's a bunch of long straight uh, twigs now when you get a twig in a cup it's called the stranger in the cup because theoretically you're only going to get leaves and there are actually three of these long, straight twigs. And so this is three potential new loves because the stranger in the cup, especially when it's toward the bottom, is a a person that is coming to you. If, this, if the twig is forked, it's a female. If it has no forks, it's a male. So what I see here are three men that may approach you. Not only that, the number three is in the bottom of the cup formed of two leaves, that form, you know, two little curved leaves that form the number three. So it's telling me, watch out, there are three people who may come to see you. After the three, there's a number one, and after the one, there's a number nine. So it really reads 319. 319 would be a lucky number to bet. The three is next to the three straight um, strangers. The the one is by itself, the nine is by itself. So watch out for the numbers three, one, and nine. I do not see this person coming back. He seems chaotic and um, and willful. Um, 
he's a Sag. He's aiming away. His, he's, he's shooting away. Where did he go to? What happened? I don't think he was done with his first love. That's the doll he's carrying. See, this is this. Car- he's carrying this little, this little. Um, like I said, it's like a baby or a doll in a dress. It's like it looks like a little child. He's carrying it with him, and he's sh- yeah shooting onward. I think that I I I would if I were you, I would um, look for the next three lovers. There's you have going to have some opportunities here, and I would not um, I would not. Um, expect him back anytime soon. And if he does come back maybe, but right now I'm seeing this 319. Look for that number in um in addresses, street addresses. The third month is March, first month is January, ninth month, you know, whatever, it's a long time from now, but um I usually read these as lucky numbers to play. It also could be numbers that work out if you do someone's first uh, middle and last name. It might work out to three one nine if you use numerology. Just um, just look for the numbers three and then one nine. Okay. So that's how okay. I that's how I read this. And um, it's um, you know it's hard to explain about the stranger in the cup. And I'm going to just say one more thing because I think I have a couple of minutes here that I can still expound on this. I have an old postcard image. It's from England, and it's a, uh, it's really pretty. It, it's a, it's a etching, not a photograph. It shows a woman, um, and it's, she's reading her tea leaves by herself, and she's in a very fancy mansion with, uh, you know, beautiful uh, neo-gothic um, interior decoration, tall windows with gothic arches, and outside through the window, there is a a young man kind of approaching with a with a little. Um, bundle on a stick, much like the card of the fool. He's just this happy-go-lucky guy, holder he, holder ho, I'm the happy wanderer. She doesn't see him. She's looking at her cup, and she's she's putting her hands up and screaming. And um, and it says underneath it, the stranger in the cup. She hasn't seen him approach yet, but she's like shocked that somebody is going to come into her life, and he's going to marry her. And she's like, oh my god! The stranger in the cup. So what I'm, you should have a feeling of shock and awe when you get the stranger in the cup. It's not coming. We did um, another cup of this exact same tea. There were no twigs in it. Um, so the stranger in the cup, you got three of them, and you got this three, one, nine, and nine is a multiple of three. So there's something, there's going to be a lot of men interested in you. And um, the stranger in the cup as a concept is also found in a tarot card which is the card that shows a person looking at a cloud on which there are cups and there are snake and different different things in the cups that are pleasant and unpleasant but it it is the um seven of cups but the central top cup shows a person in the cup with a cloak or cloth over them glowing and their hands kind of out that is the stranger in the cup and you're always supposed to pick when you get that card, the stranger in the cup. So I would read this also as the seven of cups. Okay. I will now um, pass this along to Papa G. Thank you. Hello, Kim. Hello. I'm I'm actually reading uh, with Lenormand cards, and when I pull single cards, I usually pull four because they're red in pairs. And uh, first I'll tell you the meaning, and then I'll tell you there's something rather unusual about the cards after that. Um, The first card is the coffin, which usually means an ending. 
Um, but it's right beside the card, which is a bouquet, which means a gift. In my experience, when I see these two things together, it means this ending was actually a gift in disguise in your life. As in his leaving was a good thing for you. <laughs> okay. But, but, because the next card is the rider. He's a man on a horse. He's riding. Uh, and it means someone, someone or something coming into your life. And it's followed by the card, which is the ship, which means movement. Um, once this new person comes into your life, things will actually begin to move into the right direction. Um, so so it indicates that the that the first guy not hanging around was a very good thing. It was actually a gift from the universe to you. And I put in the chat room that when I draw when I drew these, it kind of freaks me out because Cat was talking because Lenormand cards are numbered. Okay, the first mm-hmm. card, the coffin, is an eight, but the bouquet is a nine. Hmm. The rider is a one, and the ship is a three. So if you oh, do cool. them backwards, it's three one <laughs> nine. Wow. Mm. Wow. So we've got to figure out what three one nine means for you. Buy buy a, t- a lottery ticket. There we go. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, Papa G, run that over for me because I'm not a Lenormand breeder. Which one is three? Uh, three is the ship, which is the last ship. card. Uh huh. The second to the and last card is the rider, the horseman, which uh-huh. is one. Uh huh. And nine is the bouquet, which was the gift. Wow. Nine. So I actually have eight, nine, one, three. Wow. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> we, just, uh, are you going to roll your dice, uh, um, Conjurement Ali? Is, is that what we're doing? Well, what is, no, he's going to give her some, some, some uh, root work, but what is number eight? <laughs> what card is number eight? It's the coffin, which means an end. Coffin. Oh, it's the end of the relationship, of course. Yeah. Oh. Uh-huh. Wow. Amazing. Wow, indeed. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, so yeah, the lady, end of the relationship, <laughs> good thing, new guy, going to make movement. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. What a fascinating uh, what a fascinating thing that is. Well, um, now, a lot of times when we read for people, um, you know, we give them bad news about a relationship, and they, they're discontented, and they're hurt, and, you know, they're like, oh, I didn't call this radio show to get a reading. I was told he's never coming back. But, you know, it's a funny thing, that Sagittarius, that bow and arrow that's sitting there, I'm just looking at this thing, and I'm going, and the way he's striding, I can't explain it. It's like he's got seven league boots on. I mean, like, these legs are, like, way unnaturally striding. He's he's gone. He's gone. Um, so um, let's turn this over to Conjurement Ali. He's going to take us to where, first of all, to soothe and calm mm-hmm. you, because you just got some bad news, um, and then he's going to tell you how to get those um, potential strangers in the cup to really jump at you. Yeah, okay. I think you've, you've had some fantastic reading here, and, and Miss Cat is, is right. That's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you work that will help heal the heart and help you move on and really bring new love into your life in an exciting uh, way. So what I want you to first do is to write down what it is you are looking for in a partner, what qualifications, what 
have characteristics. He should be, uh, you know, tall. He should look this way, and uh, he should be really handsome and generous, and so on and so forth. Write this list down. And write it uh, preferably uh, uh, during night. Then fold it up, place it under your pillow, and sleep on it. And the next day, the first thing that you do when you wake up is to revise that list. And people have heard me say this before on the radio show. It's what I always tell my clients to do because I believe that the list or that you're making, the list of intent should be meaningful. And we want to dig down deep into the essence and spirit of something. We want to touch that spirit, so to speak. Once you've got this list, once you've revised it, this is what you are going to work with, this list. I want you to fold this up and set this aside. Get yourself violet leaves, rose petals, and lovage root. And you're going to brew this into a tea, and you're going to bathe with it. This is going to be done for three days, letting yourself air dry every single time and gathering a bit of the used bath water and sprinkling it at your front door. This both helps to soothe the heart, to purify, to cleanse away any pain or vestigial remnants uh, of, of kind of doubt, but also opens you up to new love. Uh, once you've done this, three days. On the fourth day, you're going to begin your candle work. You're going to take the paper um, that you had set aside, and you're going to place it underneath a white plate. I want you to get a big jumbo candle, a nice big one that you can work with, uh, that you can hold with. You're going to inscribe it, my future partner, lover, husband, whatever you are looking for, Come to me. Anoint this with come to me oil and love me oil. Then you're going to take Cuba berries and you are going to set this in a spiral from bottom to top. This is why you want a big jumbo one because they're easier to work with. Studding a candle means softening it a little bit and then sticking the Cuba berries into the wax. So it's going to take a little bit of manipulating, a little bit of patience. It's going to be tricky, but you stud it. And you don't need to, you know, make it, you know, a million of them, but enough to spiral around uh, from the bottom of the candle to the tip of the candle. Once you've got this studded, you're going to melt the bottom of the candle and stick it to the saucer. Take some honey and ring it clockwise once on the white plate around that pink candle. Sprinkle some rose petals on top of it. Get a vanilla bean and a cinnamon stick, and you're going to tie them together with a red string. And you're going to tie them, and every time you knot it, you should knot it a total of seven times, you will say very forcefully, my lover, wherever you are, you will come to me and be mine, committed to me, mind, body, and soul. Seven times you're going to knock the CD. You have a little bundle of a vanilla bean and a vanilla bean stock and a cinnamon stick. Place this inside the ring of honey right next to the candle. Take your finger, dip it into the honey, and taste it. As this honey is sweet to me, so will love be sweet to me. Light your candle and pray over it. Pray over it before you go to bed and let it burn for a little bit, focusing on that candle, then snuff it out. Repeat this for four days so that you've bathed for three, you've bathed for three and you've done candle work 
for four days. On the fourth and final day, let it burn all the way down. Then get yourself a small red flannel bag. Place into this bag the list that was underneath the uh, plate. Place it into the bag with two rose petals, one representing your heart and one representing your future lover's heart. Put in a few of the Cuba berries that have kind of fallen off of that candle into the bag along with that cinnamon vanilla bundle. Pray your prayer in the bag. Tie it, knot it three times, give it a little bit of come-to-me oil and love-me oil, and then spray it with your perfume. This perfume is something that you should wear regularly. When you put on, you get up for the day and you're ready to go out, you will put your mojo bag in your pocket, first spray it with your perfume, then spray yourself. This way, through scent, you are linked both to your mojo bag and also scent will work as a powerful way of attracting your uh, future partner to you. The kind of uh, leftover wax, Cuba berries, etc., honey, all of that can be buried in your front yard. If you have a front yard, if you don't have a front yard, you could bury it in a potted plant. This is the working that I recommend to you, and I believe that it will draw to you the ideal lover that you seek. Wow. Um, That is classic work. Um, I hope I got managed to type it all down as you were going. Uh, if anyone has any questions, <laughs> you should check the chat room because I did think we got it all. And thank you, Papa Newt, for putting some of this also. We still have the um, – he has to make a couple more links here, of course. Um, also, people are going to always ask, well, what if I don't spray my perfume? What if I dab it? Go ahead, dab it. That's okay. Dab it isn't about okay. – <laughs> yeah. It's um uh it's all about how you prefer to work. Um and of course he covered one of the major questions, but I live in an apartment, I don't have a yard. Yes, use a potted plant and um for your spell remnants. This is a very beautiful spell and I uh, there's really nothing I would add it to it other than the conjure and Ali mentions the cube berries are studded are used to heat up the love. Let's talk about studying a, studying a candle. So there are several ways to do this, and I'm going to tell you one that I happen to like. You can get um, a, a gas flame, something hot, and mm-hmm. um, you can make a little um, use something that's small, like a you know ball shaped or whatever, and you basically poke a little hole. And while that wax is wet, you put that um, cubeb berry in there. Mm-hmm. and exactly. let it hold. It'll just hold. But you have to do it carefully. Um, you can use any kind of a little tool, like my, maybe a, from a craft store, like a little play tool, but you want a little tool with a little ball end on it would be mm-hmm. good. A screwdriver will work as well. A knife point you don't want to use because it'll take the uh, temper off your yeah. knife. There are actually okay. clay tools that have a little ball um, on them. Yeah, ball, exactly. The Go to the craft store and get that little clay. And you can use that, by the way, for if you're cursing, you can use that to stud a candle, a black candle with black pepper. Works really well. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wow. All righty. Um, so now we're going to have our network schedule announcement from our technical tea room. <laughs> <laughs> The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays, 3 to 4.30, the Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, 
Tuesdays, 5 to 6. Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 4 to 5. And The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Le Fay, Fridays, 6 to 7. All time specific, add three hours for Eastern, sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. And now it's time for our freestyle segment with Papa G of SouthernFolkMagic.com in Nashville, Tennessee. Take it away, Papa G. Thank you, Papa Newt. Um, instead of a spell, what I brought was, in to, to correlate it with what we're talking about today, tea, is the magical uses of the different types of tea. And this is more of a little bit of a, a witchcraft tradition, but I've, I've written down ways that we can incorporate them in hoodoo and uh, root work. For example, white tea is often used in magic for cleansing and new beginnings. So I would translate this to use it in cut and clear work. Um, it also pairs well with things that are uh, in hoodoo or for cut, cutting and cl- cleansing. Uh, lemon, you can add lemongrass, lemon balm, even rosemary, all good ingredients to white tea and use it for cleansing work or cut and clear work. Um, oolongs, for example, are associated with love. You can add to those to make it more root work oriented. Things like Damiana, um, star anise, juniper berries, lavender, all those are associated with love, rose petals, which would create a, a love tea. And black teas are magically associated with things like courage and confidence, but also money matters. So there's lots of good ingredients like cinnamon, alfalfa, allspice, all hoodoo um, known ingredients for money to turn this black tea into a money tea. And uh, green tea is typically associated with things like health, stability, and longevity. And you can add things to it to make it, once again, more hoodoo-oriented, like hops, coriander seeds, or marjoram, or thyme, all of which are associated with health. And um, one thing I found interesting, too, is the different teas, white, oolong, black, and green, which, by the way, all come from the same plant, Camellia sinensis. they also have a season attached to them. Black tea is associated with winter, White teas are associated with spring, green tea, summer, oolongs, autumn. Additionally, there are stones and crystals that are associated with each of these teas. White tea, quartz crystal, oolong, rose quartz or amethyst also, which which is known for love. Black teas, obsidian, and I've added pyrite to the mix because it's for, for money. And greed teas, adventuring. So what you could do, let's say you were going to incorporate these teas into a spell you were doing. You can actually drink the tea while doing your spell work. And I would suggest an hour or a couple hours before, maybe even the day before, put one of those stones or crystals in your teacup and let it sit there for 24 hours. If you're doing money work, let the pyrite sit there. For, and then when it comes time to do your spell work, you start your... um. Start to take it out, make your tea, drink it while you're doing your work. Also, any of these can be ground up, powdered, mixed with other things, rolled on candles, 
there's tons of ways to use them. So those are my, there are magical associations of actually tea. Wow. I'm going to, I'm going to ask a question because one that did not get mentioned here is puer tea. Um, I would presume it's free of the floor. It's a very different tea. It's from the same plant also. But um, does it have an association with any kind of work? I couldn't find any, but, you know, pu'er is often buried to be fermented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so I think we could probably come up with something for that, for like putting, well, yeah, putting things in the past, maybe. And Well, an earth tea, also it might have to do with um, property ownership or, um, you know, agriculture, as opposed to just straight-up money. If you know what I mean, right? Um, it, it's a it's a fascinating tea for me. Um, one of the best uh, cheap brands of puer is called Nor Sun, which means Northern Sun, and so I associate puer with the north and with uh, darkness in a way. Um, it's a, just an interesting one. There's mm. also a lot of, of Japanese um, branchy little. Um, uh, what well, we might, you know, by the Chinese would be considered a cheap tea, but there's also like um, moo tea and stuff. There's a lot of of lore about tea, and um, it's a it's amazing. This this method of uh, aligning the tea with the um, with the stones and with the colors is very nice, very pleasant, very good way to work. And a lot of people don't realize that it's all the same plant. Mm-hmm. Now, Reverend Dr. Sweets asked a question. Can you work with Gambler's Gold? I don't know if what's in it is edible, drinkable. Um, I think mo- I think it is edible. Uh, Gambler's Gold is edible and drinkable. And so are a bunch of our other herb mixes. For instance, our um, our Bessemum Spice uh, Money Mix is, is drinkable. I recommend that anybody who's interested in this ask for the free flyer uh, by Madame Pamita, on uh, it's called Teas and Tisanes, making a magical cup, and it's uh, from a workshop that she gave. It's two pages. It will be included in our next book, the red folder, which will be the, you know, the red equivalent of the black folder, um, and it will give the whole list of edible herbs, drinkable herbs. Anybody who's ever taken my uh, correspondence course also knows I give a good list of edible herbs, or you could also uh, buy the book. Um, this amazing book, it's a $9 book that I wrote, and it correlates the herbs with their magical uses and indicates which ones are edible and which ones are toxic. So there are many ways to approach this material. You can find books on herbology all over. But um, if you have a book like Hoodoo Urban Root Magic and you want to know um, whether a plant is toxic, you can look it up in a cross-reference and you'll find it. If there was an, uh, if anyone's watched this new Sabrina show, there was something <laughs> with the aunt had made her a tea for cleansing, and she put in high John root. Don't do that at home. Oh no! Oh my lord! But she said a pitch. I guess it was for cleansing. Oh my gosh! Yes, um, you'll you'll be stuck there in the in the bathroom cleansing for quite a while. <laughs> Until you're all cleansed out. <laughs> <laughs> it's why it's so important to know what herbs you're putting into your tea. A little knowledge goes a long way, sometimes too Oh, long. yes. And your stomach <laughs> will thank you. Well, and I would say that to any of these, adding um, adding um, herbs that are like uh, candied ginger, um, you know me, candied ginger it heats up and invigorates 
It's also calming and soothing. Uh, ginger, um, turmeric, and um, cardamom are all related, and um, and grains of paradise, and all of them go very well with any tea that you want to have some action coming out of it, activity. Uh, oh, one yeah. last thing, Miss Cat. Yes or no? Your your opinion. Sugar and milk in your tea before you read it. People won't want um, to know. I, w- I would not put milk um, in the tea before I read it. I don't mind sugar. I don't like bitterness. But tea- milk will kind of cloud things up, to my opinion. It's just I me. agree. Yeah. I don't make people suffer, though. If they want to put a piece of ginger in and then eat it afterwards, that's fine. Or sugar, that's fine, too. All right. Well, I want to thank you, Papa G. This has been wonderful. We're going to let um, Papa Newt do our closing announcements, and then we're all going to come back and say goodbye. Thank you, Miss Cat and Parchman Ali, and thank you, Papa G of SouthernFolkMagic.com and Nashville, Tennessee, for being our guest this week. We invite you to join us next week when we'll have another special guest from the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers bringing us another delightful topic. So stay tuned. Once again, we come to an end of another Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rubric Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. You can find Miss Cat via the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com and Contraband Ali at thecontraband.com in Mission Viejo, California. I'm your announcer, Papa Newt, joining you from PapaNewt.com in Omaha, Nebraska. The Lucky Mojo Rubric Hour can be heard every week live on Blog Talk Radio at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and the shows are available in archive via luckymojo.com slash radioshow.html. For all of us at Lucky Mojo, I'd like to say thank you for being here and invite you to tune in once again next week at the same time when you'll hear the familiar strains of the Memphis Jug Band playing the Jug Band Vaults. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you, Papa Newton. I want a quick shout-out, Alchemical Artisans Hour, Angela L., Callie Mojo Girl, Cousin Joshua, Dr. Derensburg, and a bunch of guests, Miss Mike Hill, and um, Moon Age Daydream. And uh, let's see who else we got here. Um, Reverend Dr. Sweet and Cigara Rita, and plus a bunch of unnamed guests. Thank you all for joining us in the chat. We really love to have you here. You keep us on our toes. This show will be available in archive, of course, so you can come back and read all the recipes and learn all about it. And I guess that's it for me. Um, hope to have you back again soon, Papa G. Thank you, and topic. yeah, good night. Good night, all. Bye.